Hello and welcome to another episode of Tell Great Stories, the podcast that looks back at some of Unbound Theatre's past projects and productions. My name is Katie Herbert and I will be speaking today with the cast and creative team of two Shakespeare plays, Macbeth and Twelfth Night. So over to them to introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Dario. I was the director of both plays. Hello, I'm Alistair Sonson, um, Lord of Macbeth, part of the duo at the centre of the havoc of it all, and also um, Antonio somewhat the pirate in, in the uh, Twelfth Night. Hi, I'm Jo Rothery. I played Lady Macbeth and um, also Maria in Twelfth Night. Hi there, I'm Beatrice Benedict and I've played Seaton and the Witch in Macbeth and Malvolio in Twelfth Night. Hi, I'm Robert Aldington and I played Sir Toby Belch in Twelfth Night. Okay, lovely. Welcome everyone. So, Macbeth was Unbound's first full-length Shakespeare play, but it wasn't the first Shakespeare production. So, Dario and B, can you tell us a bit about a celebration of Shakespeare, which you did in 2016? So, what was the concept behind that show? What was it like to perform in as well? Uh, that is a long time ago now. <laughs> <laughs> um, Indeed. I, I, well, it's always the plan that we were going to do Shakespeare every year as part of Unbound's programme, and it, it took a little while to get up to doing that um unbound was a very different smaller operation in those days we were still doing one thing at a time uh, foolishly before we thought we could do six things at one time so it wasn't until 2016 that we were really ready to launch that and um it turned out that was the year that was the shakespeare 400 celebrations because it was four centuries since he died so it seemed right to try and put something together that uh kind of summed him up as a writer and no one play or poem really does that because he's so multifaceted so the celebration show was uh, it was a bit like a review really it had lots of speeches and scenes from almost all the plays i think and then a couple of sonnets as well and a few sections which were sort of um speeches short speeches or even just a few lines from different plays which were fused together to work as a dialogue um, and we had music as well. I remember they had uh, the much-missed Jenny Wright had her choir there performing different songs from the plays. Um, so it was great fun because we got to go over the whole span of Shakespeare's work in one night. And um, and there were some great sequences. The, the Rude Mechanicals was very funny with Gareth playing bottom. Uh, and there was a sequence we did to the whole history cycle, I remember, with uh, Beatrice playing Richard III very memorably. Yep. I did. <laughs> that was a, that was an experience. Yeah, um it was I think it was the first time in my life where I actually played uh, several roles of Shakespeare um from Shakespeare, of Shakespeare characters and it was luckily with Amban Theatre back then, yeah. Um it was an exciting project, I must say, and I think it was also a very lovely introduction for Amban Theatre uh of its, you know, annual Shakespeare plays, you know, as as Dario just mentioned before. It was it was a great start to uh of 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 um I would say a yearly tradition you know, of putting on Shakespeare shows. And it was so much fun. It was fun because you could get a glimpse of everything that Shakespeare has written in his life, sort of like, as, as Dario mentioned just before, so multifaceted and so universal as well. 
so I really had a lot of fun and we were a great bunch uh, working together for it mm. yeah Alistair you went to see it do you have any memories from she from seeing it <laughs> it was I've got to say it, it was a, a lovely mix of all different pieces um but I do I do remember they a very clever setup where they had a, the classroom um with with many many sort of old school desks um and and sort of learning Shakespeare in a way to actually then demonstrate Shakespeare so it was it was actually a very clever system to actually uh put certain speeches and monologues uh, across so um yeah I do remember that I remember the classroom very well <laughs> yeah actually I, I was unfortunate because I couldn't get to that um that show that performance because uh, I was away that weekend and I actually when Dario announced that he was going to put it on I was so excited and then when I looked at the date I, I, I realized I couldn't do it so <laughs> I was kind of heartbroken because it was one of my ambitions was to always be in, in a Shakespeare production of some kind and um but he said to me at the time he said don't worry I think this is what we're, we're going to start on with this in the future like maybe do one every year and Ooh. and yeah he was true to his word so uh yeah. <laughs> and the start of the journey of an epic of Shakespeare productions <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> true he was yeah Joe, how true he was <laughs> absolutely so Dario why did you choose Macbeth as the first full-length Shakespeare play I mean Obviously, was it challenging to find a new way to stage it? What was your vision vision for the piece? Uh, lots of reasons for choosing it. Um, rather shamefully, some of them are probably more practical than artistic. But um, having the producer hat on at the same time, uh, given it was still relatively early days for Unbound and for me as a director as well, the the fact it's a short play helped a lot. Mm. Um, nobody wants to start with Troilus and Cressida. <laughs> 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 for for many reasons, not just the length. Um, Should get that on a T-shirt, Dario. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get round to it one good day. Merch, yeah. Good merch, good <laughs> merch. Um, and it's a play where doubling can be applied really easily as well, so the cast size can be kept to a reasonable level. Um, and there's nothing too tricky in terms of the scenery either. We could just create an environment to perform in, and you don't have to worry too much about scene changes. Um, Plus, uh, you have to have one mind on marketing. It's got mass appeal. People are happy to see Macbeth. It's one of those plays people will go and see again and again. And we wanted to bring in a big audience because it was the first full Shakespeare we'd done. Um, but the deciding factor was when I when I reread it and I read various plays to try and pick one. Um, and I just found the core relationship between Lord and Lady M really fascinating. Um, I suppose that's kind of in terms of finding a new take on it. I I don't think you can go into a process specifically thinking about that because you you slightly run the risk of it being too gimmicky if all you're worried about is the angle. Um, I think all you can do is read the script and respond to it. So you you have to see what leaps out at you and and then you interpret it in a way that feels right to you as a director without being too obsessive about being a a purist to Shakespeare. <laughs> Anyone who's listened to these podcasts before knows my view on those people. Um, or the other extreme is is changing things for the sake of changing it without it being relevant to the to the play. So, what's great about Shakespeare plays is that the, the published versions that we have are so full and expansive. You can kind of hone in on any number of different interpretations and edit it to highlight the theme you want to explore. So, with Macbeth, you can very easily frame that as a discussion on what makes a great king, and historically, it you know, may well have been written to get on uh, James the First's good side. So you can focus on the scenes with 
Duff and Malcolm and Banquo if you're interested in that or if you're more interested you can focus on a discussion about how we interact with the supernatural and how we're shaped by superstition because the witches carry that through the play and in the instance of me rereading it, I really wanted to hone in on the Lord and Lady Macbeth relationship so you can reframe the play on that by cutting down the sequences that focus on other things so we lost a couple of the scenes with the witches and we cut down the England scene quite a bit um, so you can just focus in on that one theme and what I really wanted to look at was why they push each other to do what they do and why their relationship falls apart in the way that it rather spectacularly does and um, I think Macbeth's often seen as a, a tragic character brought down by ambition and actually I think the play is more about the tragedy between the two of them and the fatal flaw isn't necessarily ambition it's just the inability they both have to to communicate properly with one another and and be open and honest about ambition and and any number of other things so yeah i think in terms of finding a way of of framing it you, all you can do is read it and react to it and then translate that onto the uh, into the production itself and I, I mean much has much has been written on the nature of their relationship and it was obviously sort of key to your production Alistair and Joe, how did you feel when you were offered the role of Lord and Lady Macbeth? I mean, what did you discover about them as you worked through the rehearsals? Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, yeah. It, was, it was daunting. I mean, for me, it was the first... I mean, I hadn't even had a, a leading role in anything. Uh, and to get this part was... Uh, it was, I mean, so exciting, but also terrifying because you know as such an iconic role as well as lady m i mean uh she's big shoes to fill really um but it was so nice that um that i was cast alongside alistair because we'd worked together before in mm. um beauty and the beast so <laughs> yeah. we were good friends already um and so we had a, a you know a comfortable way of working together and so that that made it a lot easier to try and get to grips with um with the relationship um so that that's how i felt initially how about you alistair <laughs> um no yeah good good call joe it's um truth be told yes yeah, similar sort of thing um i was dying to sort of get into more shakespeare and I'd, I'd only done a little bit with sort of um othello and things like that in in those in the production of that and things so this was like 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 you joe this this was a a massive massive gig um and truth be told I, I actually felt quite nauseous when I went through the script <laughs> my my highlighter ran out before I got to the end oh I remember and, that oh, I do I remember was, that yeah I was I remember you coming up to me with your script in one hand going I've had to go and get another highlighter pen <laughs> this, is, this is not on <laughs> that's it so um I was I was kind of really not reluctant. I was, I, was, I was a bit wary about whether I could do that. Um, obviously, it was lovely, you know, that there was a powerful thing that uh, it felt like we would be able to do it because Joe, Joe and myself, you know, as, as you say, we're good friends. So it felt like we could tackle it. But I must admit, I, I do remember going to Dario and actually there, was a, there were a couple of things to do double check. You know, one was would there be a need for a Scottish accent? <laughs> good question. Um, good question. It's a very and, good question. Yeah, and and also just uh, yeah, I wasn't sure in myself whether I'd be able to to deal with 
that amount of um, <laughs> volume. Um, and, and all credit to Dario, you know, very, very supportive and very encouraging. And mm -hmm. then, then I sort of uh, had a meet up with Joe and <laughs> discussed the fact that, you know, I wasn't quite sure whether to, to, to go ahead. It'd be lovely to and not. I remember we were sort of grabbing coffee together and it was very much, you know, do, you know, I, I, I need you a lot as Macbeth to, to, to pull this off together. Or, you know, <laughs> yes, so. that's how it starts. Yeah. Come on, you've got so. to do it. And I pushed you, I pushed you to do it. <laughs> so no, it was, it was, it was great with that encouragement. So, so we kind of then dove in and mm. um, yeah, it, it, it was, it was, it was great. Um, always a massive mountain to climb. I have to say, um, Katie and, 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 and Dario, as you, as, as Dario knows, it, it was it was a, it was a journey of a mountain to climb, you know, with each chapter, with each monologue, with each scene, separate to the enjoyable journey that we would we would undertake, and and I think that was in the very beginning, just to sort of quickly refer to that, yeah, the 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 the, the style of Lady Macbeth and and, and Macbeth, uh, it, it felt a fresher approach to be um actually somewhat more characters that the audience would root for and 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 caught up in this slight tragic development of events um which kind of allowed to bring a bit of jeopardy into more of of the story whereas perhaps in some other productions it's a bit more as these strong characters and bold moments but for us it was quite nice to develop along the lines of um actually hopefully having the audience <laughs> on our side and just <laughs> cringing at the mistakes going on and uh, as the journey unfolded tragically <laughs> mm. yeah I agree it was it was like um the focus as I understood it uh, from Dario was wanting to it to be a love story between the two and that the, the love for one another gets themselves in you know into this terrible terrible disaster and um, I remember thinking that, you know, historically, Lady Macbeth is just, you know, considered to be evil personified. Um, and but as I explored the role further and tried to look at it from this point of view, that she was just she was ambitious for her husband. She there was the two of them seemed to be just them against the world. And yeah, just exploring that way, I could convince myself that, oh, you know, she's not that bad, really. <laughs> she, yeah. she, she, sort of, she might have killed the king and she might have, you know, but that's all she did. I mean, you know, she was just trying to get on with it. You know, Joe, she might have done. lost her mind, you know, that's she might it. have just lo but, lost know, her mind, just, but detailed. She was having a hard time, bless her. She had a very yeah. hard time. Exactly. She was living we, in a very misogynistic world. Exactly, and, you know, exactly. What do you We expect? can blame the fates. Yeah. And, and exactly. uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's amazing how you can, yeah, you can convince yourself when you're trying to get into the character and find parts of yourself that, you know, you can relate to that character. Uh, it's it's quite funny how you can sidestep a lot of it and and get into her mindset really, which is, you know, she 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 thought it was it was worthwhile just for the two of them, and she thought it would all end happily ever after, which of course <laughs> she was wrong. Wow. So no, 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 don't don't so spoil close. it, Joe. Don't spoil it. Oh, for sorry. Those who don't know. <laughs> I apologise. <Yeah>, spoilers. <laughs> 
And um, what about you, Alistair? Did you did you have ideas about Macbeth before going into it that as you went through you realised were different, or did you feel differently about him as you went through? I I, I think I think in a lucky way, I think we were all on a just a natural similar page um, between Joe and myself, obviously Dario's vision for what he wanted and everything. And I think it seemed a natural interpretation to go along those lines of they're actually good people. And it's uh, it may be a maverick approach to try and make bring out the good of them in the way their friendships are and, and, and their relationship and, and the way they hold court. And moments that cause this conflict are those moments where things go wrong and it, and it leads to wrong decisions and uh, a cataclysmic chain of events sort of pushed on by the fates and the witches and, and, the, and the spirits it's created. So yeah, it, it did feel the right approach actually and, and a natural approach and, and it really, especially the first few scenes, it, it really felt like we hopefully brought something quite fresh to it in the sense of perhaps the audience wouldn't quite have expected to feel like we could like these people and we could see what they were doing, hopefully. <laughs> It's not often they get portrayed as a happily married couple, is it? It's sort of whenever <laughs> no. a lot of time you see it, they are presented as though they're already going through difficulties. And actually, it's quite nice to show them that they do genuinely really love each other. And it's a, actually a really good marriage in some regards. It's just that they never understand one another's ambition or intent quite right. So that Macbeth never quite knows what he wants. Mm. And then in her in her attempts to kind of help him find it out. <laughs> I think Lady M makes a few assumptions about what he wants to do. And then actually it turns out that neither of them's necessarily that keen on killing the king. They both have reservations about it, but it's too late. And then, mm. you know, he gets far too carried away and she loses him. So I, I like the fact that it, you know, as is often said, Macbeth kind of gets categorized as a sort of not terribly thinking, ambitious bloke who gets pushed around and that's not mm. quite true i don't think in the text and lady Macbeth often is portrayed as this woman who's been wanting to be a wicked witch for years who finally gets the opportunity to be a sort of arch villain and then indulges in it and that doesn't really fit either actually what you're watching is a marriage breaking up which is in a very mundane but heartbreaking thing and so that's why you've got to frame it it's not to do with uh necessarily all the fighting and the battles and the ghosts are, are secondary to the fact that they just can't connect with one another again it's they've just lost the thing i don't think we kind of certainly i sort of didn't quite twig until we staged it was well, we put the interval just after the ghost scene and i kind of forgot that actually that's the last time they see each other and it's that's it's over as soon as you've got to that point where he's he really has it. he says you know we are but yet young indeed and wanders off and they never see each other again so the whole second act they're completely separate mm. so that was kind of that was exciting so the whole first act is about watching this this very fond and loving relationship ending up in a a very sad mess well yeah. on that note um, <laughs> what, what what memories uh no what memories stand out most from the production to everybody i mean are there scenes that you most look forward to performing and that's that's everybody people that were in it or watched it or directed it 
Well, I shall continue then and try to bring some more cheer in this conversation. Thank you. <laughs> I, um, so first of all, I, I will mention two things I really enjoyed. First of all was um, the set design and the lighting design, which I absolutely loved because um, we've incorporated like uh, really scenes from outside, like nature and stuff, making it as grounded as possible. And I loved that. And I loved how um, Dario and uh, Stefan worked together in terms of the lighting design as well, just to mm. highlight the importance of some of the scenes and give some nuances to other scenes so it, it was really great to see that i really enjoyed being on stage and during those during those scenes yeah and one of the one of the moments that i really enjoyed being in um but also loved watching from backstage <laughs> was uh the scene where uh, lady macbeth and macbeth were entering in the throne room and everyone was so somber and everyone was just like, okay, like bow and uh, show them the respect and stuff like that. But everyone knew that something is up, that you could feel the tension on the, on the, on the stage itself because you knew even as even in your character you knew something is happening something is going to happen and even though you knew what will happen that um, chemistry that we all as a group have achieved on stage was really electrifying I must say it was one of my favorite scenes you know because you knew I think for me personally that was the moment where everything was going down a drain and you could see the cracks you know like you can see the cracks between Macbeth and Lady Macbeth as well you know you could see yeah. from tiny little gestures uh, between uh, Alistair and Joe that they weren't as happy as people would think they might be so I really yeah yeah I really I really like that so that was that was one of my favorite scenes yeah Anyone else? Dario, do you have a favourite one, bit of it? Uh, lots of it. I mean, I remember I remember most of the cast being terrified of B when she was playing Seton. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were terrifying. Um, because we, I think it was the way we doubled it. Uh, Seton was also an amalgamation of, is it Seward, I think, in the original script it comes in, and one of the murderers from the, the scene with Banquet. Because again, you're just trying to bug, you're trying to sort of um, double it up so it's a bit more uh, compact. And so B ended up murdering most of the cast, <laughs> <laughs> ah, including I, I have a feeling Fantastic. possibly John North twice. I can't <laughs> Look, I like that. I'm not, I'm not it, a psychopath. I'm not, I promise. <laughs> but it, I remember that being. But it was really good that you had this proper sense of of menace because. It doesn't come from Macduff particularly because he is the sort of righteous avenger and the witches disappear after after the interval. So it does give you this palpable sense of even within the castle walls, there's someone who could quite easily turn on Macbeth. Um, so it was really good because it gave you a sense of tension. So whenever another character got bumped off and B sort of added another little notch to her. <laughs> <laughs> notch to her. A terrifying post. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the tally of the uh, the gravestone. Um, I remember that being really uh, enjoyable for perverse reasons. Um, wow. And I yeah, I the one I think I was really proud of, and it was the bit that we reprised when we did the anniversary show, was um, Lady Macbeth's final scene. Which here, was here. we we there's one of the things we changed. Sorry, Shakespeare purists. Um, <laughs> not sorry. So 
we in the play the last time you see her is the sleepwalking scene and what we did was after that there's a sequence where all the lords are getting ready for battle and going to and throw picking up armor and shields and all that sort of stuff and what we did was we had lady macbeth come back in in one of her trances really and um we used various lines of dialogue from the sleepwalking scene that were sort of put in between the Lord's dialogue so that it was almost as if she was responding to them. So the idea was they can't see her, they're just going about the business, but she can, in her trance-like state, I think, sort of imagine what they're doing and knows what's about to happen to Macbeth. She is one of those characters that has a lot more insight than she gets credited for. I think why she's so upset is she can sort of tell how it's going to unravel for him as soon as he becomes king and begins to distance himself from her so and it's, it's just too late to get the message across to him because he's out of control so all that she's left with is this sort of warning that no one will ever hear so it kind of meant that her final appearance could be one of of insight rather than detachment because she does she literally disappears from the play she mm. just wanders off after sleepwalking and then the, you might hear a scream at one point and that's it um, so I always enjoyed watching that one because I thought it, it worked I was really proud of it as a director and it was a beautiful performance by Joe and all the the choreography that Lara was really helping with getting everyone kind of crisscrossing with all the soldiers getting ready. It, it was really mm. affecting. I thought that bit. And the yeah. candlelight with the procession down. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What about our leads? What are your favorite bits? What do you remember? Oh gosh. Uh, well, I think, you know, the sleepwalking scene, um, I did, I actually did enjoy uh, doing that tremendously uh, just to be, completely insane really was is is always good good laugh you know? <laughs> <laughs> um free i remember what one of my memories actually was was backstage and i was trying to prepare for that that scene and i was trying to get myself i was listening to uh some strange music on my headphones and getting uh, trying to yeah messed my hair up and I, i'll never forget alistair came in at one moment and it was the first night i think and you i don't know you weren't expecting to see me and it, you were like oh my god Joe, are you okay? <laughs> and, I, and I was like, yeah, I'm just trying to, I, it's fine. It's all good. I'm just trying to, I'm just about to go, go on for the sleepwalking scene. And um, there's a lot of fun actually we had backstage. Uh, Gareth in particular uh, used to do, uh, just before he was just, uh, before I went on for the sleepwalking, actually, he was, he, uh, he was just going around doing lots of crazy, um, you know, my mimicking me with my completely deranged, expressions on my face <laughs> etc so it was a lot of fun and and I think I've heard this said before that um often in a in a tragedy in a production like this um the backstage camaraderie is quite fun and upbeat because it has to be to to sort of counter counteract the doom and gloom on the stage so um yeah I, I remember that whole thing that the, the the performance of the sleepwalking and the choreography bit that we did was was brilliant, um, but also yeah, a lot of fun behind the scenes too. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah. I think um, I think it's it's funny that there's so many iconic moments um, that a lot of people kind of know about in Macbeth, and um, I think actually probably some of the most enjoyable pieces were the smaller scenes, the smaller linking pieces that might not have necessarily the big speeches and things like that and I think those were the ones that actually I really enjoyed that interplay and how we all within the whole castle the whole the whole team sort of existed um 
with all the lords and everybody. And I remember a couple of touching moments from a personal point of view was, uh, ironically, it may not sound so good now that we've just heard how bad Seton was, <laughs> but um, just before the end, uh, when everybody is doomed and, and, and dying and, and there was a moment where one created a little extra thanks to the loyalty that Macbeth had felt from Seton. Um, in all the chaos that was going around, the person he'd been able to trust, rely on, and it was lovely, and, and, and Dario very kindly sort of was happy to have this in just just before the battle started it was a chance to let Seaton go and, and and escape from the chaos that was about to ensue as, as a final act of token appreciation of what genuine people have brought um, and stayed that loyalty in this to the house that was falling down um so that was a a lovely particular moment i i really appreciated and obviously there's one other big moment which was very nicely uh it, it sort of came about i think probably dario had a vision for it but it also felt a kind of very natural thing for joe and i and and it's actually a slight moment of after everything plays out you have that strength of the togetherness that actually followed through that in an afterlife way, the bodies and corpses were still fresh on, on the ground, but we came back together in linked in that journey to go onwards. Um, past the the physical plane and for the final one of the final moments of of the play that was actually a really touching thing that we were able to put on and obviously great thanks to Dario for being excited or helping or to create that as well because that was a really touching moment that really reinforced the approach of the whole duo getting caught up in the tragedy and as the dust settles there's something far more important that they're still together um yeah, i probably haven't described it as well but yeah. as well as i could but <laughs> no that was a lovely ending. Play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah very original ending that dario put in there yeah mm. cool oh thank so you thank you chief <laughs> yeah lovely lovely memories yeah, thank you all. That was lovely. Because one other thing that I have to say, because it's my favourite thing from Beth, was um, during a dress rehearsal, this is my favourite piece of improvisation Unbound's ever done, was, um, I forget which dress rehearsal it was, but Alistair having been a hero at learning all of these lines, it was a Herculean effort. Towards the end, he walks on, and when everything's going wrong, the soldier's on their way, the tree is moving, and the line is, um, Seton, I'm sick at heart. And obviously, at some point, the line decided to wander off. And Alistair, without breaking character, without breaking intensity, completely in the moment, came out with the lines, Seton, 
this makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my just, god, I remember it. <laughs> it was genius. I mean, like, there was no moment of just sort of going, oh, what's the line? What am I doing? There was, there was not a, there didn't drop a beat. It was perfect. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, thank you, Darren. Well done, Alistair. <laughs> so I, I do again, like you say, it's it's strange. It's the funny things you remember yeah. rather than the uh, the tragic ones. <laughs> Very nice. Oh, that's lovely. Um, right, Twelfth Night. So, Dario, what made you choose Twelfth Night as the next production? Uh, I think we all needed a laugh. So... <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's nice to mix it up. So we've tried where possible to alternate between doing the tragedies and the comedies. So we thought, having done Macbeth, let's do a funny one. It's also nice. Um, some Shakespeare's like Macbeth do rely very much on uh two characters they're very heavily the tragedies naturally have one or two figures uh a lot of the comedies in 12 nights has an ensemble so it's just nice to have a, a cast where lots of people have got a, a lot of good stuff to do um so it was nice to to make that transition also having worked with um colin garvey on both uh, the celebration show and macbeth um i thought it'd be really fun to do something with music because colin is a, a fantastic musician and singer and songwriter um and and Twelfth Night is almost a musical in the number of songs it has. So um, he set all the songs to to music and he performed because he played Feste. So uh, it was, yeah, all manner of things. It's something something a bit more lighthearted and something to try music. Every show should have a song, so it was nice to try something a bit a bit different. Mm. Now, there is a perception from some people that Shakespeare's comedy doesn't always play well to a modern audience. So sorry, purists. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Um, bringing Rob back in. Welcome back, Rob. Um, <laughs> Hi, Rob. <laughs> is... Hi, Rob. Hello. Hey, very patiently waiting there, Rob. Somebody wake him up. Yeah, <laughs> poke him with a stick. <laughs> you mean I have to go first on this question? Uh, yes, yes. Why not? Let's Whatever it is. Do you agree? <clears throat> do you agree? And um, how do you approach Shakespearean comedies as an actor? That's to everybody as well. But off you go, Rob. Lead us in. Well, well, for, for me, I think. Um, the the only the only the only snag with Shakespeare's comedy is that is the antiquity of the words and um, uh, and the the key thing with uh, with bringing the the comic points across and uh, having the fun is uh, is understanding everything that's on the that's in the script and and so the key point really for me is always to kind of do your homework and make sure that um, you've you've googled and read up on on every line so you thoroughly understand. Uh, what, where your where your character's coming from, um, and in um, in Twelfth Night, I think, uh, oh, and then then you've got the basics, I suppose. Sorry, with things uh, such as timing, and I think with Twelfth Night, there's a um, when we're making fun of Malvolio when he's reading the the letter. Um, uh, again, it's it, it it's all in the timing uh, in that particular. Uh, scene for me of the interjections as uh, Toby and others are, are looking on from behind uh, bushes or from a balcony or wherever wherever we were at the time, uh, making various interjections to make the to make the thing roll along. Um, in terms of the the content of the comedy itself, I think um, in Twelfth Night, you know, we've got this uh, business of um, uh, making full of fun of uh, Malvolio and 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 Toby Belt setting up these. Uh, uh, the the jewel and the the, the various uh, making fun of um, 
Andrew Ogie cheek as well. So the the laughs are at the at the expense of others uh, uh, in in Twelfth Night, and um, you know having uh, Malvolio locked up and uh, trying to convince him that he's uh, that he's gone bonkers and all the rest of it. So it's um, it's all humour that uh, people in the modern world can identify with and, and indulge in. On a day-to-day basis, uh, sometimes not a very good effect, in my opinion. But, uh, uh, but um, you know, it's all the kind of humour that, that you find when people are uh, are taking uh, taking making fun of uh, others in in real modern life. So mm. the laughs are there, but you've got to understand where the fun comes from, and uh, and uh, and do your homework. Mm. And then when you've it, it's depending on the people around you as well. When you, if you're in a really strong cast. Like Twelfth Night was a very strong cast. You know, if you're if you're up there with Gareth and you know the likes of B, then you you, you do get the the timing uh, uh, the timing and the fun and the physicality uh, right as well. So, um, but but understanding is the is the key thing. I I, I I personally think that comedy is one of the hardest genres to play. So for me, it was definitely a challenge because I've not been in the comedy before. I do prefer myself, like both as a, as a performer as, a, as well as a director, I do prefer more the, well, not tragedy, but the more like serious plays, the more that has the, the plays or um, that have more of a psychological background. I love, I love that, you know, and how you can work with different uh, creative uh, vocabularies in order to create that atmosphere. Um, but with my with my volume, sorry, with uh, Twelfth Night, it was a challenge, like literally the biggest challenge of my acting life, I would say. And um, it does go exactly what Rob said before. It go- goes with a lot of research and a lot of look at videos with other actors doing it or doing comedy or doing watching stand-up comedy so that you can understand the mechanics behind it. Like what are the strategies? What are uh, what are the methods? to incorporate that into your own play and recently I mean it's I've I've done it then but recently I came across uh, a lovely definition from a uh, from a poetry slammer in Germany who said that humor uh, is very dependent on three things and that's um, surprise it's on exaggeration and perspective you know and I think all of us have incorporated that uh, regardless if it's on a, on a uh, conscious or unconscious level, but we have re- uh, incorporated that in our own um, character development for, for uh, Twelfth Night. And it is really the timing of it and having the cast and the proper people, well, proper, all of us are proper, but, you know, the right people to do <laughs> comedy with, you know, and there's a lot, but basically there's a lot of trust involved there, like a lot of trust. You have to trust the timing, you have to trust the pauses, you have to trust the other people and the, the timing of other people, even though maybe three seconds might feel like an eternity for you as a person on stage, but those three seconds don't feel like an eternity for the public, for example. You have to trust the fact that those three seconds are vital for the people uh, both on stage as well as off stage to get the pun or get a comedic uh, scene or anything of that sort, you know? So, uh, yeah, timing, um, exa- exaggeration, perspective, and surprise, I would say. It's actually really interesting that you you pref- say you prefer to do sort of straight straight roles, if you like. And that that's great. I mean, it, there's, it's maybe a reason why you were really good Malvolio, because... 
Malvolio is a straight man. You know, he has no, he has no, has no humour. He's full of his own self-importance, <laughs> and and so and and very often comedy comedy duo works that way. You have a straight man. You have a you have a funny 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 person and and uh, yes and that's what makes it's the, the contrast the comedy, yeah yeah the mm. co- that contrast and so uh, yeah it, it's uh, it's per- perfect really um, so you you just go your own your little pompous <laughs> way and, <laughs> and all the other characters will chime in and do their bit you know and it and it, and it works like a yeah. you know it's a it's a it's almost like a dance you know with the time yeah I echo what yeah everyone said um, it's all about being part of a team you know. Um, and you all sort of bounce off each other. But I had such good fun um, in that production playing Maria with with everyone. Oh, it was it was just it was lovely, you know. Um, and I think with it, the difficulty with Shakespeare comedy, yeah, it it can be a bit strange. But ultimately, I mean, there's a lot of physical gags you can do in Shakespeare as well. It's not just about the text. The text is massively important, obviously. Um, but you can you have, can have so much fun uh, on stage with stuff that's not said, the stuff that's not in the script, the the, the way that people are, are um, you know, sort of acting behind mm. one another, uh, if you like, and the, the, all the sticky notes on people's on. backs. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that sort of thing. Yeah, Alistair, you're a master of uh, yeah the, the comic movement on stage. Um, you know. Yeah, stuff like uh, Andrew Akechi yeah, yeah. appearing from exactly. under the table, you know that. Sort of yeah, yeah. yeah. Or Gareth hidden there for at least half an hour before he was. Yeah. Yeah. He was. Literally, yeah. was. He was there for. He had before to be the there curtain. before. Did yeah. he, wasn't he there before the audience came out? Yeah, so he was there for sort of twenty minutes while they got settled, and then there's about another 10, 15 minutes of the play before the scene happens. Mm-hmm. When I think wasn't it, uh, Joe, that you put a vase or something down on the table? That's right banged it down and then he just sort of throws himself forward as if he's woken up um which always got a good reaction from the audience they always found that very funny exactly the element of surprise like v said yeah i mean it is yeah it was great it was great fun loved it yeah and i think wherever you've got for me wherever you've got props you can get a laugh somehow but you know and if you've got pints you know pint glasses helps. allegedly full of booze all over the you can you can you can make yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a great help do you know what i think in a weird way um the shakespearean comedies they're they're a gift um you know so, so often you don't have a chance to actually go through that whole fun adventure um, and it's all laid out for you and you can add little extra moments and things but you've got the roadmap there to just have some fun and I think in a weird way a lot of plays don't have it so in depth in different you know between the physical comedy the word play the character play the timing in a weird way I, th- I think even if it's slightly out of context of the modern world there's always references to it but actually it's I think the reason why it's so well received is because people actually love that sort of thing and actually don't see it enough um so I think that's why it strikes a chord with everybody the Shakespearean comedies yeah it's all rooted in the human condition this thing that Shakespeare does yeah. so well isn't it you know the, mm. the pomposity of Malvolio the sort of freeloading of Sir Toby you know and then the sort of uh, the wicked cunning humour of uh, Maria with the with the note you know all these, all these kind of things they're um, they're they all play out today you know day in day out 
in in real life in 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 real comedy today as as they did you know 400 years ago i mean it's incredible really yeah i think it's one of the things where it's a bit like appreciating shakespeare you'll never ever get it if you read it you just won't you have to watch it being performed and i think it's the same with his comedies you'll never really understand just how clever he is at the wordplay and the juxtapositions and the like you said the human comedy of the sheer ludicrousness of malvolio <laughs> goes out to saying malvolio is only funny because malvolio doesn't think he's being funny at all and there's nothing funnier than someone who's unaware they're being funny. <laughs> <laughs> but the more you go into it the more you appreciate it that it actually there's not to say that all of shakespeare's comedy is is hilarious there's bits of it that are chronically unfunny troilus and cressida um <laughs> and um but there's also, I mean, there's stuff that will never really work because Shakespeare's frame of reference in terms of things like mythology or theology isn't our frame of reference. And there's nothing more um, sort of distressing than a joke you have to explain. <laughs> so is it that old quote about, um, is it E.B. White? He said, like, analysing humour is like dissecting a frog. Not many people are interested in the frog dies. <laughs> so there's kind of, there'll, there'll, there'll always be something where there's no point trying to do certain Shakespeare jokes because, you know... It, they don't really connect with the modern audience but actually there's a lot more in there than you think and like you say there's a license to put in physical comedy and visual gags um, which i think people enjoy because they don't necessarily expect to go and see a shakespeare comedy that can be so gloriously stupid but actually it's more in the spirit of the thing that kind of very stupid facetious jokes are more in keeping with shakespeare than people think mm. yeah and it's the, it's the characters that are that are that are the comic items rather yeah. than Rather than the words, it's it's not a it's not a list of gags that, as you say, it doesn't jump off the page at you. Uh, whereas with some with some comedy plays, it, it, you know, it's in there in the more or less lists of straight gags. But uh, mm. in Shakespeare, it doesn't come at you that way. You have to it has to be acted. Now, B, we've mentioned your playing of Malvolio. Um, you chose to perform him as a male character rather than gender swapping it. So what was the thought process behind that and what were the challenges around that as well? I mean, I'm going to be quite honest. It never occurred to me to gender swap, to be honest. Excellent. Next question. <laughs> I, never, like, uh... I mean, if you, if you could flannel for a few minutes, it'll pan out. Yeah, well. yeah. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> no. So it was like, I mean, um, I was aware that in 2017, the National Theatre had... Uh, staged uh, Twelfth Night and had Thames and Greg uh, playing Marvolio as a she, yeah? Um, so I was aware that there was already a, a gender-swapping thing happening, but I was like, well, it only will echo what the National Theatre does, and, you know, I think uh, the beauty of theatre is to just r remain sort of true to yourself and unique in some way, so I decided not to go that. And I was really intrigued by playing a man. <laughs> you know? Why can't man play <laughs> women and women can play? You know, I just wanted to do it. You know, um, I yeah. was I loved the idea of you know using makeup and using products that men use usually <laughs> just to like have that slick black hair. Um, Oh, I remember uh, the exactly. hair and the and mold. And the mold, you know, oh, all that mold. jazz. Yeah, <laughs> so mold. it was... It... <laughs> <laughs> Nearly had its own spin-off. <laughs> I really went for it. Um, and in terms of getting into the character, I do remember questioning myself all the time if any of the delivered lines were okay or 
if it needed more or if it needed less or is it okay like that are my colleagues being just nice to me telling me that yes you're doing a great job but actually I'm not you know so it was a lot of a lot of that because obviously once you're like committing to a role that is not necessarily natural to your you 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 know like as a person you know um it does bring with itself quite a lot of challenges you know but it was I loved the challenge part of it you know and I wanted to deliver a good performance and it's literally in retrospect I can tell that it's only now that I see that I was funny because <laughs> whilst I was on stage I was really I, I wasn't really taking I mean, you're you're right, guys. My body does not take himself uh, uh, seriously. No, he does take himself too seriously. And he's not a funny character. Well, at least he doesn't think he's a funny character, you know. But that's where the exaggeration comes, you know. And that's where the perspective comes in as well. I mean, obviously, you play off off a lot of... uh, From your colleagues, you know. Like, you get their their energy and their uh, input you know and no performance was the same I must say like every performance uh though it was 12th night it was different to play you know it was Mm. because every night there was something else that was happening on stage you know something else that would uh would trigger a domino domino effect of of um humor little humorous little scenes you know but yeah, um, bottom bottom line, I never <laughs> I never thought about gender swapping. I wanted to challenge myself and see how a man can act. I'm not sure if I achieved it, but <laughs> no, it was funny. <laughs> I think, we think you did. We did. Very well. Yeah, very yes. well. Yeah, I mean, Malvolio is there. It, it's all about, you know, the Lord of Misrule and the overthrow of authority. That's what the play's about, and and uh, Twelfth Night, and and that's and Malvolio, he is the authority that's being overthrown yeah. by the the unruly Satobi and all yeah. the others, you know. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it needs to be played that straight kind of uh, um, taking yourself too seriously way. That that's for me. That's what's required, you know. Yeah. I know it's great. I say it's tough because you've got to go from being the outright villain who's spoiling everyone's fun when the first couple of times you see Malvolio to being what is kind of the comic highlight of the play mm. the scene when uh, he he attempts to uh, seduce <laughs> Olivia which is brilliantly funny and then at the end actually you have to do a really odd term where you need to kind of elicit s- sympathy when everyone realizes the joke's gone too far it's a really yeah. hard thing to that's a really hard trajectory to pull as an actor especially um you know, when you are surrounded by a lot more things that are overtly comic all the time and the play is generally very amiable, being the sort of serious core underneath it is is a tough ask. So I have to say B did fantastically because it was brilliantly funny. I have, you know, the the scene where you're reading the letter is still one of my favourite uh, bits. And oh. and at the end, it's actually quite moving when you, you do feel a bit sorry for Malvolio because maybe it, it was a bit too cruel as a joke. Mm. Now, Dario, one of the other differences to this was your approach to the characters of Olivia and Viola, which was an important part of the production. Can you talk us through how you presented them and the thinking behind it? Uh, yes. So um, it's a bit like uh, rereading Macbeth and, and focusing in on why they communicate the way they do and then framing the play around that. When I went back to 
uh, Twelfth Night, the thing that really preoccupied me reading the script was how, to me, how cruel the ending is for Olivia. So she falls genuinely and very movingly in love with Viola and is then expected to be happy ever after with Sebastian, who she marries by mistake, just because he looks the same, therefore the love must be replaceable and just she'll just move over and be in love with him instead and it's all fine it must be that's all right they look they're, they're identical why, why wouldn't that be a problem and it it's a really odd and quite jarring ending for me and um i mean it's foolish to make any uh assumption about what shakespeare intended when he wrote anything but i think there's a bit of a chasm between the relationship he he seems to want to write um because um, I say it's, it's a very heartfelt pairing of Olivia and, and Viola. Um, it's not set up to be funny. And then you have an ending to play which feels like it's the way it has to be in order to make sure the Lord Chamberlain isn't going to get them into trouble. Mm. Um, because, God forbid, two women should be happily together at the end of a play. So, it's an incredible idea, yeah. Yeah, this notion that the characters have a duality came up, which is, you know, there's a, a difference between what they want and what they get in the play are two separate things. So we had two actresses playing Olivia, including yourself, and uh, and two playing Viola, so meaning in any scene you could highlight the contradictory way things unfold between them and Duke Orsino, mm. and we we tied it in with mirrors which we had dotted around the stage because the play is very much about introspection and self analysis or or lack of in terms of some characters. Um, so when Viola and Olivia looked into the mirrors, their reflections the idea being they stepped out and in the end it's the reflections the sort of inner versions of the characters who end up together while the real versions in inverted commas kind of do as society demands and viola ends up with orsino and olivia ends up with sebastian and that's the so you get the same way the play was written so we didn't change the ending purists Um, (laughs) we, we added to it um and I mean, in, in truth, as a, a director, I don't know whether I made that clear enough in the staging. And I think if I had my time again, I'd probably revisit that. Um, I stand by it as an idea. Uh, mm. I, th- I think it's a really good one, but I think we probably could have done. Yeah. yeah, I think we could have done more with it. Although um, I think the image of the reflections of Olivia and Viola standing on the balcony watching the rest of the play conclude is one of my favourite sort of bits of the show and, and favourite mm. images because I think it's quite sweet. It was quite bittersweet, really, at the end. Um, and I think it gave it a little bit, a little bit of added layer of emotion to the finale. So, yeah, defence rests. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, speaking of Sir Toby, I didn't really notice those bit. Didn't really notice those bits of the. Play. No, you didn't give just... monkeys, did you? <laughs> no, I was uh, supposed to get back care. to the alehouse. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> was there a serious side to the play? <laughs> you were just focused on bees, fluorescent stockings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were very distressed. <laughs> yeah. They were. For me, it was just—it was all about cakes and ale for Satobi. Yeah, all as all plays should be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The, I've got to say, the mirrors did look great, though, and and that concept—it's mm. yeah, it, it was tricky with everybody on stage in those moments, but it it was great. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I admit, from one point of view, that the last thing that play needs is two more characters, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I stand by it as a mm. as a as a concept. I think I think it was lovely, and I think that um, sometimes when you're going through a script and going into a character, and you're trying to work out what that character wants, why they're coming onto the stage, what they actually want from the interaction, and these kind of things, and then for you to introduce this idea that really she is interested in 
Tyler, that there is a relationship there. Yeah. And it just made sense with what you were saying. It made sense as why, as a character, you were talking to that person. And it made more sense to do that than suddenly at the end to go, oh, you're not a man. That's fine. I'll just go off with someone who looks vaguely like you. That'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> which, um, which was a bit strange, to be honest. But yeah, and I think it, it, made, it made sense. It made sense playing it to have that as the idea behind the character than the traditional idea, I suppose, is that she, well, it's a girl, so she can't possibly really like her. <laughs> no, no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, everybody, Unbound recently announced its Sounds and Sweet Airs project, which will see the company record audio adaptations of the complete works of Shakespeare, including Troilus and Cressida, I have to add. <laughs> <laughs> eventually, eventually. <laughs> is there a Shakespeare play, Troilus and Cressida, you'd be keen to work on... <laughs> Or revisit on audio. I have a list, but I like <laughs> go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice Very good it's a list of it's a list of thirty six plays without Troilus and Cressida. No, <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, no, no. So, <laughs> so I would very much love to be in Othello, Richard the Third, and A Winter's Tale, and I would revisit A Midsummer's Night Dream and um, As You Like It. And Beatrice and Benedict. There we are. That's my list. <laughs> list done. Excellent. Small, We've recorded it. list for you, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm afraid we've already done one of them, but don't worry. There are many more. You'd make a wonderful Cressida. Thank you. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, absolutely anything. And I think the lovely idea of um, doing the audio is there's more potential uh, for women of a certain age <laughs> to uh, to maybe uh, be able to do some characters or like we say gender swapping or whatever mm. on the audio that'd be quite that'd be quite fun so you can do loads joe <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah i mean it's it sounds like a brilliant project and um yeah and i'm up for anything to be honest yeah i think me me too really i'm uh like-minded there i'm quite happy to to take part in uh wherever a director thinks i can uh add any 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 value so um <laughs> i mean I, personally I, I like this i like the kind of um full stuff I, I, I like no <laughs> I, I like the kind of uh i like roman and greek kind of stuff you know julius caesar maybe something like that mm. um but i i think that's because i just like the romans when i was a kid really <laughs> but there's a I, 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 there's just so many things to do, yeah. so many good things to do. Yeah. I think we're quite lucky um, with with everyone we have, with the centre, with obviously Dario who has great vision on, with these productions. I think any anyone you, you get your teeth into and it becomes a, a very special thing. So uh, we are lucky as a troupe, um, and I mean that in a loose sense because obviously there's room for new people coming in and all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, from personal point of view, um, I guess I guess there is there is there is a, a Shakespeare that's interesting. I, I I did find interesting. It was Measure for Measure. Um, it was uh, yeah. There was there was a fair bit of you know the whole disguising comedy character thing, and yeah, it was a it was one I studied, and it was an interesting one, and I enjoyed it. So um, if I had to do a plug, that's I guess Measure for Measure. <laughs> right. That brings us to the end of this episode. 
So thank you all for your thoughts and memories. Thank you to everyone for listening in. For more episodes of Tell Great Stories and lots of other great audio and video content, head over to unboundtheatre.co.uk or look up Unbound Theatre on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or SoundCloud. <laughs>